Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Amen. Have a seat. Again, if I haven't met you, my name is Scott, the lead pastor here. And last week, um, we gave a quick update. Just kind of want to re- iterate that. We get to share some great news that as a church body, we realized that we needed to pursue a 24-7 facility solution. And so we started looking about a year ago for something to open up and nothing just open. So we as a church body decided let's raise our resources. Let's be ready to take action on something. And so about three weeks ago, a church building on 9th Avenue. So just the facility, right? I'm going to I'll talk about that in a little bit. Just the facility became available and so we went and looked at it we realized it was a great solution for us we put an offer in on that they accepted that about over a week ago so we rejoice here's a picture of that here's a picture of that property I want you to imagine a white building with a steeple and there's a bell tower and there's some stained glass windows. Eventually we'll see. Or you could just drive past it after church today. We'll see. Maybe they're having technical difficulties. That's okay if they are. We're grateful for how they serve back there. Uh, for real. Uh, now, there's been a lot of activity on the property since we last talked. We had some inspections done. Um, and it's kind of what you would expect for a building that's 130 years old. Um, and so, but nothing that would preclude us from taking forward steps on it. We even verified that the bell tower worked. We posted that video. That was a lot of fun. The neighbors said that's the first time they've heard it ringing in a hot while. I don't know, April, you can probably confirm or deny that, but uh, it was, yeah, it's been a, been a while. So that was a lot of fun to make that ring and to know that that works. You know, it's, it's things like this. It's the, the, the main joists are made out of oak. They don't do that anymore, right? So uh, there's some exciting things about that property. As we went and we looked at it, we feel like we can move forward uh, as a church body. It um, doesn't mean that every single obstacle is overcome yet. Some of those things that our team got together to look at the facility and say, hey, these are our two biggest concerns as we think about the space. The first is that there's currently no first floor bathrooms. So if someone needed a handicapped a access to that bathroom, they'd have to go outside go down the sidewalk, go around the block, go in the daylight basement to access these pretty dated bathroom basements. And we just don't think that's the best way to reach out to our community, uh, specifically with the bathrooms kind of situation. So we're planning on putting in first floor bathrooms. But the other challenge, imagine this is our space, okay? To get to those bathrooms, you have to walk behind the preacher. All right? So like everyone will know... when you have to use the restroom. And again, we just don't think that's the best way to reach the community that we want to invite into this space. So our plan is this. Our plan is that we're going to take the seating and rotate it 90 degrees towards the north wall. That way to get to the restroom, you can walk behind the congregation rather than in front of it. To do that, we have to level the floors. So our plan, if, if everything goes according to plan, and you guys know how real estate works, right? Lots of things can happen. But our plan is that we would take possession on May 1st. So it's not far away. We take possession on May 1st and then spend about four weeks getting those initial things taken care of. 
Like we could move in right now and, and be just fine because we're portable. We know how to do that, right? But we want to get those things done. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect for us by the time we step into it, but those things, getting them done ahead of time will really be helpful for like after we move in, that will be harder, right? And the goal would be that we work on that through May and then that we uh, would move in in June, okay? So. Um, we're going to be we're going to be having some work opportunities. We're going to try and maximize the funds that you guys have um, supported through this campaign by swinging hammers ourselves. So we're going to have a lot of opportunities in the month of May for like those kinds of work parties and painting and demo and stuff like that. So just like save your Saturdays in May if you can, because uh, we're going to need as much help as we can taking place. But I, I also want to stop and I, and I want to say this has all been possible because God was faithful to us as we were faithful with him. That we said we don't know what the future holds, but we want to get ready for that. And 87% of those people that call our church home participated in the campaign because of that. We were able to put a down payment and even deal with some of these improvements that really kind of need to be made before we can move in there. And I just think that's something to be uh, excited about. And and I want to also simultaneously say that if you started coming since then, you know we did that six months ago, and you, this is never too late to participate with that. Uh, you can you can be a part of helping us get in there if you if this is how you want to step into that by swinging a hammer absolutely if you're able to help support that financially there's a drop down link in our giving portal and it just automatically will make that happen so that will help us do things like get air conditioning for our kids because there's no air conditioning or carpets right um, so we want we want this to be a tool that helps us reach people because listen listen when you invest in something like this you're not investing in a building, you're investing in people. One of the things that I love about being in this elementary school is we don't confuse the building with the people. We know that the relationships in the body of Christ coming together is very distinctly different than Brunswick Elementary School. But already, I've had many people say, I'm so glad you bought a church. Stop and think about that. Can you buy a group of people? No, you can't, right? It's just a facility. It's just a building. It just helps us reach people. To the extent that it has us do that, we're on board. If, that, if it stops doing that, if we need to pivot to another building, the church hasn't changed. We're still the body of Christ. And so I want you to, as you speak amongst yourselves and with other people, just stop that language and, and like tell it to yourself. We didn't purchase a church. That's not what we did. We've got a facility. And we praise God for that, right? And I want to thank you for how you've participated with that. All right. That's that. Here we go. All right. Here we go into our message time. End that segment. Start the new segment. Grab your orange Bibles if you would. We're in the book of Galatians. And as we start, I just want to ask you a question. Is anger wrong? Is anger wrong? If, um, if uh, you know, someone stole my pencil and I lost my cool and I was just super, super angry with them. Is that wrong? Hmm, interesting. It's an interesting question. I, that would probably not be an admirable response, I think, in that instance. Anger is something that many people will confess to me, like, hey, I've just really been struggling with anger lately. I've just been an angry person. It's generally associated with a negative emotion. But isn't it interesting that not all anger is created the same? You ever notice that? 
that there's actually an anger that's not going to be coming from kind of this negative space, but there's a difference between good anger and bad anger. You know, if you see injustice, if you hear about human trafficking and all of a sudden that elicits a response inside of you, and it's actually an appropriate reaction to be compelled by compassion and affection for someone else that would say, I actually feel angry that this has happened. In fact, I would say that there is no anger without love. That if you love someone, you're going to get angry when they hurt themselves or someone hurts them. So anger is actually a pretty complicated emotion. But there's also this bad kind of anger, right? We know that anger. We know the anger that says, I've lost self-control. I, I would call that even red-hot anger. You know, think about the cartoons where their face turns red and steam starts coming out of their ears. We've all felt that kind of anger as well. So the, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, in your anger, don't sin. So evidently, it's possible to be angry without sinning. The problem with that red-hot anger is, is it impairs your judgment. Did you ever notice that? Like you don't get more clarity, you actually get less clarity. And you'll miss even physical dangers, emotional dangers, relational dangers when you're angry. Because it just clouds your thinking. It has that kind of power. And isn't it true that that kind of anger always leads to apologies? Oh man, I lost it. I lost it. And now you have this regret, and so you have to go back to that person and apologize. Okay, I want us to sit in how that feels for a moment. Because I don't even really want to talk about anger precisely, but just those kinds of emotional spaces, whether it's jealousy or, or rage, competition, pride. Have you ever noticed the way that that those negative emotions, the way that they feel on the inside when you have them. Some of you hate feelings. Some of you are like, I don't want to have any feelings. You're like, I don't even want to go there. But there's this negative space where we feel that. And the problem is, our emotions are so confusing. And sometimes it's hard to know, like, when am I, like, when is this good anger, maybe? When is it bad anger? When's it, like, good pride? When's it bad pride? When is it okay to be jealous? When is it not okay to be jealous? It's, I don't know. I just don't think it's all that straightforward. I think it's a little confusing. How do I know that what I'm feeling is good or bad? Because you and I are going to have relational conflicts with one another. You're going to have relational conflicts with your spouse, with your children, with your coworkers. That's going to happen. And how you navigate that is how you deal with these kinds of emotions inside. How do I know if it's good or if it's bad? The series that we're in um, is called I'm uh, Losing My Religion. And this is a conversation as I looked ahead to the book of Galatians that we're studying that I've actually been really excited to have. I think there's some unique power in the conversation we're going to have this weekend to help us navigate some of those places that we often find ourselves in. Some of the most confusing, turmoil, relational conflict, kind of how do I process this? I think it's super duper helpful for us. And I think it's practical for anyone that's not just trying to figure out their emotions, but more so for those people who would say, I want my life to be guided and directed by Christ. How do I bring my emotions into that alignment there? Because it's confusing. 
So let's open, let's open the Bible here. All right, uh, page 797 in the orange book. So this is going to be Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It's a really well-known segment of scripture in verse 16 of Galatians 5. And this is what the apostle Paul says. He says, in the, and he just came out of this, this issue of a conflict between people, and they're warring and they're fighting, and they're trying to figure all that out. And he says this. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a second. And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. Now listen, they are in conflict. Say conflict. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever it is that you want. And isn't it true that when we get red hot anger, when we have that kind of red hot pride or that red hot jealousy, it's coming from this place of this is what I want out of life. In fact, in fact, this is for free. James tells us this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't you know that it's your desires that are inside of you? Man, that's fascinating because most of the time when I'm red hot angry, you know what the problem is? Someone else. It's what they did to me. They wronged me. Uh, you know, they, they lost. They look at the way they treated me. When I'm proud, when I have that kind of pride, you know, it's like they, it's outside of me, someone else wronged me. When I'm jealous, it's because, well, look how they flaunted it. It's always outside of me. That is 100% of the time how we react when we're in what Paul calls the flesh. It's always something outside. But what James tells us is it's actually coming from these desires that are inside. And the reality is this, that if we just could answer that and say, I'm angry, I'm jealous, I'm proud, because I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> if we could have that clarity just for a moment in the middle of these conflicts, it would change everything. I'm really ticked off. Oh, why? Because I'm not getting what I want. And Paul says this. He says those feelings that you have, this conflict, it's not outside of you, it's actually what's happening inside of you. And he says that there is a conflict that's happening. There is a battle. There's a war of wants. Because on one side, he says, you have the spirit, and on the other side, you have the flesh. And I just want to talk about those for a moment. Let's talk about the spirit side of this, okay? So here's the spirit. It wants something. The, the New Testament tells us that when someone is born again, becomes a follower of Jesus, as Jesus into their heart, gets saved, however you want to say that, when that happens, the Spirit of God indwells inside the believer. The word is literally, he tabernacles. He sets up a tent. He stays for the long haul inside the believer. That's why we would say things like, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So honor God with your body. The reason we say that as believers in Christ is because we would say the Spirit of God dwells in me. So you know what? I can't eat the whole package of Oreos. I shouldn't smoke that or drink that. Not a legalistic thing. It's because my body is something that the Spirit dwells in. When he dwells in you, God's, uh, uh, Jesus tells us this, that the Spirit has some specific functions in the life of the believer. The first is that he illuminates the word inside of us.
It's like he turns the lights on. Have you as a believer ever had a time where you're reading God's word and you're like, I didn't understand it. And then all of a sudden it was like, aha, that's what that means. When that happens, that's called the illumination of the spirit. I was speaking with a friend this last week and, and he was sharing that he had always heard that Jesus had died for the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But now I understood that Jesus didn't just die for the world, that Jesus died for me. And he said, and it just, like I had this emotional response. I was overwhelmed. What is that when that happens? That's the illumination of God's spirit. Think of it like a flashlight. He, it just makes sense to us. That's what the Spirit does. Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he's going to remind you of everything that Jesus has spoken. Listen, how can you be reminded about something that you haven't read? The reason we read God's Word is so that we can read what it means to forgive or to love, and then the Spirit of God reminds us of that as we walk our life out after that. He shines this flashlight, and, and it affects our thinking and our feelings, and he reminds us, and we remember things like forgive each other deeply, love each other deeply from the heart, bless those who curse you. And we're reminded of that later when the now we have this thing happen at work, and we just feel like blowing up, and we remember, wait a minute, Jesus said I'm supposed to bless those who, who curse me. And Jesus says that even though they feel like they're my enemy, I'm actually supposed to love my enemy. That's not just a mental remembering, that's the Spirit of God reminding us what Jesus has actually told us. Those are some of the things that the Spirit does. The Spirit seals us, the New Testament says. It seals us, it's like, what's that even mean? Well, think of a, 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 the seal of a king. They would put it on a letter, and when you saw the seal of the king, and sometimes the seal was even a badge for a messenger, and when you see that golden medallion that says this is from the king, it has the full weight and authority of the king that it's going to get where it needs to go. And you don't mess with that messenger or it's like you're messing with the king. That's, that's what the New Testament says the spirit does in us. It's a guarantee that we're gonna get where we're going. It's a seal. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours, said Stevie Wonder. That's what the Holy Spirit does for the believer. So it reminds us, Jesus says it'll be the advocate. He's gonna be our helper. Like, I don't know what to do. The Spirit kind of helps us navigate that. Now listen, listen to me, look at me. When the Spirit of God comes into us, he does not create you to be a robot. This is not invasion of the body snatchers. This is not a fungus that takes over and like makes it so that you have to automatically do whatever. No, 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 we have still the volition of our will. We still have agency. And Paul would say this, that you have the ability to either choose the pathway of the spirit or you have the ability to choose the pathway of what he calls the flesh the flesh. Now your Bible might use this word, the sinful nature. It's the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. And here's what it's referring to. It's referring to kind of these uncontrolled desires. Uncontrolled desires. Think almost like animal level desires. Think about someone that you've seen that just loses their control. Like they just, they just, they want it, they take it. They're angry, they lash out. There's no filter on that. That's the flesh. It's not just the cells of your body. It's those desires and those wants that are on the inside. 
Now in the one verse it says, uh, uh, walk by the spirit and you won't obey the desires of the flesh. Let's talk about that word desires for just a moment. The original word for that is the word epithumia. Some of your, like especially King James versions will use the word lust, the lust of the flesh. When you hear the word lust, what kind of desires do you think of? That's right, the desire to binge watch on Netflix. That's right, exactly, right? Right, no, we, we think about like sexual desires. Think about what a sexual desire kind of would mean in this situation. It's a lust where your reason goes out the window. Guys who have been 16 to 25 years old, like you remember what that was like, right? And some of you are shaking your heads because you still have regrets from things that you did where you're like, I can't believe I took action on that. Why was I so blind? It's because those, those desires, this word epithumia means actually an over-desire. You're over-desiring it. It's a controlling, driving, longing kind of thing. So we would say things like this. I need it. Why did you buy that car? Because I needed it. No, you didn't. You already had a car. Yeah, but I didn't have a blue one. Why'd you buy that guitar? Because I needed it, right? When my wife and I see a puppy, we're like, I need this puppy in my life. And some of you have more than one or two pets, and you know what that feeling feels like, where you're like, I just need this in my life. That's, that's the over-desire. Like, there are times in the week when my wife and I, particularly between the hours of 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., we're like, we look at each other and we say, I need a Coke or, or French fries. Like, really, we're going to eat in a half hour or 45 minutes. Like, I need that right now. Like, you need to get in the car and go get me that. That's that over-desire. Now, listen, we think of those kinds of things like the bad things. But seriously, I mean, there are good things that become over-desires for us where we lose self-control. Tim Keller says this, he says, good things can become bad things when they become ultimate things. So relationships where we lose control and we give pieces of our heart to that person that we shouldn't, that happens because we need them in our lives. There's lots of things like that. I need this person to have respect for me. After all, that's what I deserve. And so because I need it, it's gonna be about my power over them. I'm gonna ogre over them because I need that level of respect. I need to be free from this person, so I'm gonna withhold affection. Uh, you know, spouses, I'm gonna withhold sexual affection from you because I need to feel in control. I need to have my children perfectly obey me because my sister's kids are a hot mess and we're not gonna be as bad as her. I need it. That's the over desire. And listen, Paul says there's these needs, these, there's these desires out of control of the flesh, and they're in conflict with what the Spirit wants. So I'm holding a grudge because they hurt me, and I want them to feel all the pain that I felt. That's what the flesh says. But the Spirit says, I need to forgive them deeply from the heart. My flesh wants me to give in to my temptation to lust, but God wants me to see them, that person, as an image bearer of God, that God loved enough to die and sacrifice his life for them. How dare I treat them like a commodity to be used? See that conflict that's there? My flesh wants me to lie to cover up my sin. The spirit of God is the spirit of truth. 
My flesh wants me to blow blow up with my kids and be an ogre with them. The Spirit of God says, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, the Spirit of God says. My flesh, listen, the flesh is chaotic. It's confusing. It's a ravaging animal. It's just wild. But God's not. God's not the author of confusion. His spirit is the spirit of wisdom. His spirit is the spirit of self-control. And so listen, as we, as we navigate these things, one of those emotions, and just thinking about anger, one of those is chaotic. One of those doesn't add to clarity. One of those makes you confused. And one of them says, no, actually I have more clarity now than I had before. Because one of those is coming from the flesh, and the other one can come from the spirit of God within us. And Paul says, listen, you have the choice. You can either walk by the flesh or you can walk by the spirit. I'm not creating you to be, an un, like, to be a robot that has no agency, no choice. God always what gives us the choice. You can either accept him or you cannot. You can either have eternity with him or not. He always gives us the choice. He says, walk by the spirit. And this picture that I get is almost like there's someone that's walking in front of you and you can either follow behind them or you can turn to the side. He's not gonna force you. In fact, it's probably a lot like our GPS systems. This is the path. I made it clear to you. This is what God's word says. You can either choose to be hateful and spiteful or you can choose to forgive them. I've told you what it means to follow me. You either have to choose. Are you going to follow that path or are you not going to follow that path? But we have to make a conscious choice. We have to say no to the flesh. We have to say yes to the spirit. Now listen, I, I'm pressing into this. I, I, I'm being really like, I'm really wanting this to be clear for a couple reasons. The first is this, is that just because you have a thought or a feeling does not mean you should embrace it. Like Disney and pop culture will say, follow your heart. That is a stupid, 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 stupid idea. My heart has got me into trouble more times than I can trust. My heart is deceitful, it's wicked, who can understand it? Don't follow your heart. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you should do it. And the second is this, is that there are going to be times where you're processing disconnection, where you're processing this work relationship, where you're dealing with these emotions, and you're like, I know that I should do this, but I really wanna do that. And it can feel discouraging like something is wrong with you. Paul would say, listen, there's nothing wrong with you. The fact that you're sitting there and you're even thinking about, I I know that I want to be angry, but Jesus says to forgive, and you're living in the tension and the conflict of those two things, he would say that is the Christian life. To look at the situation, to look at your heart and say, one of these is the flesh, and one of these is the spirit. That's, that's actually what it means to engage the battle. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It actually means that something is right. Because if you don't have that at all, you're just a wild animal. That's all you're compelled by is the flesh. And that, that means this. That means that this is going to be a daily thing that you and I have to look at the decisions and the postures of our heart and ask that question. Am I choosing to walk in the flesh or am I choosing to walk in the spirit? And you're going to be given opportunities before this day is even up which of those two you're going to walk down. 
It's a daily thing. Until I'm done with this body and this flesh is done and I am made glorified in Christ, I'm with him in heaven. When I'm in this earth, I might be free from the penalty of sin and I can free myself from the power of it, but it's not till when I get to be with Jesus that I'm gonna be free from the presence of sin altogether. And until then, this is gonna be a daily decision that you and I have to make. We have to choose to walk in the spirit. Now, that, that leads to a question that Paul is gonna answer for us. How do we know how do we know when we're choosing one or the other? What does it look like? And this is what he says. He says the acts of the flesh are really obvious. They're obvious. Like it, it's not hard to follow the acts of the flesh. That's what anybody can do. Like, like that doesn't take hard work to follow your anger and your jealousy. That's easily accessible, that word means. There's nothing remarkable about that. He says this is what it looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. This word is really the drunken orgies and the like. Now, I could go through all of those, and I could pound the pulpit, and in fact, there's a brand of Christianity that would say, yeah, pastor, pound the pulpit. Rail on the people and tell them how debauched they are and how sexual immorality is such a problem. Like there's a version of Christianity that does that. But, but I think I don't need to because those ones are obvious. There's ones on this list that are not quite so obvious. There's things that we're blind to. There's things that can fly under our screen and I don't think it's gonna be drunken orgies. I don't think it's going to be witchcraft. I, can't, I think it's going to be things that are a little less obvious in church. They're going to be things like hatred. I hate this person because of their sexual identity. And so I'm not going to be kind to them. I'm going to treat them like an outsider. It's going to be things like discord, arguing with one another, not being in harmony. When you see that, when you see that in your heart, Paul would say, here's your sign. You know that you're operating in the flesh. When you're having fits full of rage, and I just, I'm just venting. No, you're not venting. You're murdering people in your heart. That's your flesh. Here's your sign. That's what you're operating in. How about selfish ambition? This person is my rival. I, 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 need, I need to make sure that they know that I'm better than them. That's not the spirit, that's the flesh. When you, when you sense that, here's your sign. How about dissension? How about being divisive against your life group leader or someone that God's put as your authority, your, your, your supervisor at work? Paul would say that's the flesh when you're siding one person against the other. See, we like to look at those other ones, but I think there's like a religious set of sins in this list, and there's like a not religious set. And Paul would say, when you see those things, it's like a sign, it's like a flashing neon light. Pay attention. It's like that light on your dashboard. Now, I've owned old cars my whole life, and I used to think that when the little engine light turned on, it meant that the engine was running. Turns out that I was wrong. <laughs> Right? That's not what that means. It means that there's something wrong on the inside. And listen, just because you have an emotion does not mean that you should submit to it. That might very well be your check engine light that you need to pay attention. And, and if you don't, 
guess what? You could have been leaking oil the whole time and you didn't even know it. And now you're going to get stranded on the side of the road. I've had that happen before. Because you didn't know how to read the sign on your dashboard. And Paul would say, pay attention. Danger, danger, danger. It's a flag on the field. When you feel those fleshly reactions and you know what it feels like to have red hot anger, you better pay attention. He says that disaster is right around the corner. He has a stark warning. He has a stark warning. That stuff, that stuff that makes you fight amongst yourself, listen, that's not you being prophetic. That's not you being spirit-filled. That's actually, that's actually giving in to sinfulness. Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, he's not talking about a person who deals with it every once in a while and you, you recognize it and you repent of it and you move in the other direction. He's talking about someone who is unrepentant. They're staying in it and they don't care and they're not going to move away from that thing that has a grip on their heart. Paul would say, be careful because you think that you're being led by the Spirit but you might not even have the Spirit of God inside you at all. He gives us that stark warning that maybe they've never received the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, you want to know what it looks like to listen to the Spirit of God when you step in and follow where he leads you? Listen, listen to this list and listen to how much it compares with the previous list of the flesh. This is amazing. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. Do you know what that feels like when you feel love, joy, peace inside? How different it is than the cartoon who got so red and steam came out of his ears? forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these, he says, there is no law. He says that those things are the fruit of the Spirit. Now, have you ever been in an argument where someone says, what's a fruit and what's a vegetable? Is it sweet? Is it starchy? Does it come up with seeds? Did it grow under the ground? All that stuff. I, I read an article that said that's not really the right conversation because the fruit of any plant is the byproduct of growth. The broccoli or the potato or the tomato or whatever it is, what the plant grows as it's growing, that is the fruit of the plant. And that's actually the metaphor that Paul steps into. He says there's an act of the sinful nature and there's the fruit of the spirit. Now the interesting thing when you think about what that fruit means, something that's, uh, you know, the acts of the sinful nature, he says they're obvious, but the fruit of the spirit well, fruit's a little different, isn't it? Fruit, fruit's actually a little bit more gradual. You may not see it right away. It might start as a flower, and you might see a little bud, and then after a while, that bud turns into a little apple or a strawberry or something else. It takes time to see the fruit. It's like that with spiritual growth. You might not even realize that your insides have changed, but then all of a sudden you'll say, wait a minute, the old Scott would have been bitter and jealous, but now <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't explain it, but I, I don't find myself having that same reaction that I used to have. That's, that's because there's been this life-altering change from the inside. It's gradual. The other thing about fruit is that it's inevitable. It's inevitable. There will be growth. If it's on the vine, if it's being nourished, if it's growing, it's inevitable. If someone has the spirit of God in them, if their faith is genuine, if they're really trusting and treasuring who Jesus is, Paul says that it will produce fruit inside them. And there's a sense of reflection here, I think, that we need to have because, you know, we think about that 
relative or that friend and you know they were with me at church camp and we both went forward and we both got saved and I feel like there's been great fruit and I just don't really know where they're at and we don't want to judge them. Paul would say fruit is inevitable. And so you know what we can do? We can say is there fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kind. Have they actually had some demonstration that the Spirit of God has changed them from the inside out? And the other question that we have to kind of evaluate is that, is that true about me? Is there fruit in my life? I mean, I know I thought I was a religious person, but has the Spirit of God ever come in me? Have I actually ever been born again? Is there fruit like that in my life? Because if, if the Spirit of God's there, Paul says it's going to be inevitable. The other thing is he says, he doesn't use the word fruits, the fruits of the Spirit, he uses the word fruit. And that, in other words, is symmetrical. Like, you don't get to pick one and say, well, I'm naturally a gentle person. No, it's, it's all together. All of those things are just going to slowly rise like, like ships with the tide. They're going to get better as someone grows up together. And you don't get just to pick one and say, well, I don't have to deal with that one because I'm naturally strong in this. No, the Spirit of God does that inside. And Paul says, listen, you're in a conflict. You have the flesh. You have the Spirit. And you have to choose. One of those is going to be the ugly side of you. And it's always going to lead to regrets. You're going to have to apologize. It's going to be the worst side of you. And one of those is going to be the Spirit of God. And you have to walk in it. You have to walk in it. So that leads to just kind of a wrap-up sort of question here as we round third base. How does the fruit of the Spirit, how does it take root in us in deep, deep levels? This is what Paul says next. He says, those that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. That's it. We belong to Christ. All that is his is ours. And my approval with God doesn't come from my character or my actions, but on his. So he says, live by the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. It's your choice. I'm not gonna force it on you, but you have to be aware. And when you step back and when you're clothed in Christ and when you're saturated in the gospel, you know what that means? It means that I'm free to say, I have some desires and they're over desires and they've been steering the ship and I don't want that version of myself. And so I'm turning away from that. And I don't have to be like, I'm the worst person on the planet. No, why? Because I'm covered in the blood of Christ and his righteousness is mine. See what that means to be clothed in Christ in that instance? So I'm free to acknowledge that. About six months ago, I was driving by a friend's house. And as I drove by, I realized I, 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 had, a, I had one of those fleshly responses, like those fleshly responses of bitterness. And it caught me off guard because my heart kind of twinged. And I had this moment where I just started praying to God about that. And I said, God, kind of like, Lord, if you can have compassion on me, I can have compassion on myself here. Why did I just have that emotion of bitterness? What's compelling me here? And I had to answer that and I said, well, it's because I feel like this person kind of played me, maybe deceived me a little bit. I don't know if it was true or not, but it's what I felt. 
And it made me have like this red hot anger. You know why I felt that way in the first place? Because I felt that I was being wronged as if I was the master of my universe. As if I was the Lord that needed to be submitted to. So it was really my pride, it was really my arrogance that was hurt. It was that over desire, it was that flesh that was being offended. And, and so what I had to do was I had to acknowledge that before God. I had to repent of that. I know that's a word that we kind of shy away from, but it's a great word. It just means to turn away from that. I'm gonna, I had to repent of that. And so I came home and I found my, my wife and I said, hey, I gotta confess to you that this is a bitterness that I was kind of hanging on to. I didn't even know it was there. And I went to my elders and I confessed it to them as well. You know what happens sometimes when you just bring some of these things that are on the inside and you put them in the light? The book of Ephesians uh, chapter two, it tells us that when we, that, that dark things love the darkness and when you expose them to light, they lose their grip. And so I confessed it to that group of people and, and I just confessed it and I said, I don't wanna walk in that. And they prayed with me and I, to the glory of God, I, I don't feel that way anymore. Now that was a relationship that I don't have to live with every single day and so I know that those flesh responses that you're gonna have are gonna look very different. If you're living with that person, that's way different. But that's the process. That's what it looks like to crucify the over desires of the heart. You call out the lies. Listen, I'm not the master of the universe. They don't need to obey me. I'm not the Lord. I call out that lie, and this is what you're doing. You're dismantling the idols. In the Old Testament, when the heart went astray, it was called idolatry. In the New Testament, when the heart goes astray, it's called desires of the flesh. And you call out those idols, and you remove the power they have over you. See, because my lordship, me being on the throne, that was my pseudo-savior. Like That was the thing that was causing worth for me. And as long as I keep feeding that, as long as I keep playing that over and over again, they wronged me, they deceived me, look at how they treated me. As long as I keep reverberating that and that resonates in my heart, I'm feeding it, it gets stronger. When you arrest it, and you stop and say, that's a lie. Here's what the spirit wants from me. I'm gonna turn from that. It freed me. You know what happened in that instance is I wasn't holding them hostage to my bitterness. Guess who was in the, guess who was in the bondage of bitterness? I was. I was the one driving past their house saying, I'm having negative emotions right now. It was me. And God gives you freedom from that. But I could have come into church and I could have been bitter and I could have done everything that I do here every week and you wouldn't have known a difference. I could put on an act. Instead, what has to happen is a change at the motivational level. That was honestly a pretty superficial version of what that looks like. It's gonna be a lot deeper and a lot harder for you. And it's gonna be a decision that you have to make every single day. Today, I'm gonna to say no to the flesh and I'm gonna keep in step with the spirit. And you go to bed that night and you wake up the next morning and say, oh, I gotta forgive them, I'm gonna forgive them again. I'm gonna walk in the spirit today. And you keep on walking and listen to me, look at me. The Christian life is sometimes going to be the long, and boring road of obedience. You might have those mountaintop experiences, but it's gonna be daily saying, I'm gonna walk in the spirit and I'm not gonna walk in the flesh.
Guys, this is so huge. This is so huge. I, a daily, weekly basis in my heart as I walk alongside disciple others, we simply step back. And one of the first diagnostics that you and I can have as we have these conflicts, as we have these emotions, is simply ask yourself this question. Am I operating from the flesh or am I walking in the spirit? Only you know that and only you can answer that. The flesh is obvious. The spirit's a little bit harder. But it's so much more powerful and it's the only thing that can change you at the motivational level. And it will lead to a life with less regret, with more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness, more self-control. Which of those do you want? Keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says. I want to pray for us. We're going to just respond in worship. This is intended to be a time where you can just do business with God. Maybe he's illuminated something in your heart. Just speak it back to him. Ask him to invade that space of your heart. Let's pray together. God, how often is my heart driven and directed by my flesh? And it's true for all of us. Like, it, it's really true for all of us, Lord. That's the natural posture of our humanity. God, would you empower us today? Because we're going to have the opportunity to live in the flesh today. God, would you just give us that mindfulness? And would that diagnostic check, would that check engine light mean something in our hearts because we've thought about it here this morning? God, make it true for us. We praise you. God, pray your favor on these folks as we worship here. Would your spirit continue to do a work? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.